there's a fucking great film done properly. I used to think Brian Ferry was a place just outside Dundee. The only one I always forget is what was the theme song for Dying Another Day? And he's like, I'm not even in this movie. What am I doing here? Thank you for joining us. This is the Build a Bond podcast. My name, as always, is Stuart Morrison. And joining me, as always, it's Fraser MacArthur. Hello, Stuart. How are you doing? Very good, thank you. I've just been sitting outside in my garden in the sunshine before I joined this call. So, have you really? Not often you can say that. I live in the northeast of Scotland, so it's usually pretty chilly, but it's been lovely last week. Well, it's been passion down here. <laughs> um, but I'm excited to come back inside to join yourself and a guest. Now, I've known you for a long time, Fraser. We've enjoyed many TV shows and many films together. Mm-hmm. Our guest this week had a major part in one of my favourite TV shows, and I know a TV show that's important to you as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we've got the the man behind the camera at the helm of the one and only Still Game. It's it's incredible. I mean, for our Scottish listeners, no introduction required. Still Game uh, is the most iconic one of the best TV shows we as a nation have ever produced. But if, if, if you're not familiar, it's um, a brilliant sitcom about two elderly old men in Craig Lang in Glasgow. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's and, and it's fantastic. And we're so excited to have Michael Hines on. As you can probably tell, we're, we're big fans of the show. Just great to have someone like that on who's had such, you know, of course we'll talk about Still Game, but he's had such a long career as well and worked on so many other great shows and is continuing to work on, on big mm-hmm. things. So... Uh, I can't wait. I'm, I'm genuinely so excited. Yeah. I'm always excited about our guests, but I can't remember one that I've been this excited about. Yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing some of his stories from the, the chewing the fat and the still game days. Um, but what he's going to be doing is he's going to be coming on here and he's going to be building a bond. He's going to be creating his own fancy James Bond movie by casting Bond, uh, co-star or Bond girl, as sometimes it's known, um, a villain, picking a director and someone to perform the theme song. And as well as that, He'll have all the opportunity in the world to add anything else that he likes, including locations, further casting, posters, catering, who's doing, the, who's the DOP, who's, you know, everything that he can think of. Um, and one little other thing for this uh, this series, something new, uh, we've got this, the Madonna Bell. <laughs> but surely there's a better name for it than that. Well, up, up until now, Stuart, we've had no rules on the podcast, but the yeah. rules now state that this is, a, this is a big moment this is a, our first rules the first rule yeah yeah uh, if our guest mentions madonna without being coerced into it the madonna bell goes off the madonna bell goes off three times they have to sing a line from their favorite madonna song brilliant this is this is big budget now for us we've actually got a, got a sound effect we got a bell it's not a sound effect it's a real bell <laughs> It's a gen- yeah, brilliant. I I like that. I, I'm going to try not to coerce anyone into mentioning Madonna. So yeah, so Michael's got to try. Well, he doesn't know this, but he's going to be trying to not mention Madonna. While at the same time, me and you, Fraser, we are going to try and mention as many still game quotes, references, uh, things 
as we can. Is that right? Yeah, our little build a bond challenge for this episode. Get as many still game quotes in as we can without being discovered by Michael. It's yeah, quite tough. That's funny because you know, no doubt he'll know a lot. He obviously knows a lot about still game. I wonder how much he knows. Um, I wonder how much he remembers because it's, it's been a little while since since they made it. There's some obvious big ones, some big famous catchphrases that we might want to try and say, or we might try to be a bit more subtle about it and just pick up some of our favorite moments. The funny thing is, and this is a testament to how significant a part still game is played in my life anyway, but I think a lot of our kind of age, I drop in like still game quotes and still game <laughs> references into my everyday conversation all the time. Yeah. Doing the fat as well. Yeah, exactly. I might end up saying things that I'm not even intending as part of our kind of mission, but I might just end up saying them because it's become, you know, it's like Shakespeare. It's become, <laughs> these phrases have become part of everyday language just because the show is such a, a huge deal. Yeah. Anyway, let's let's fire on with it then. Let's bring them in. Yeah, can't wait. Looking forward to it. I uh, hope you all enjoy this as much as we are anticipating enjoying it ourselves. Joining us on the show today is the BAFTA award-winning director, responsible for every single episode of one of the greatest TV sitcoms of all time. Alongside his work on iconic TV series such as Still Game, Tune the Fat and Balamori, he also works in theatre and film and is currently in post-production on his latest film, Man and Witch. We are so honoured to have him building his own James Bond. It's Michael Hines. Thank you so much. I must correct you on one thing. Uh, there were 62 episodes of Still Game and I directed 61 and a half. Colin Gilbert, the original producer, directed the first step, and I came back in and shot half of it again. And I don't want to ever leave him out of that because he'll shoot me. <laughs> okay, that's, oh, wow. that's very fair, very reasonable. Although <laughs> I, I still think you can take a lot of credit for the, uh, the the remaining 61 episodes that were pretty successful, I think you can say. Someone likened me to the fifth Beatle, and that was the highest compliment, I think. So, uh, yeah, no, yeah, I didn't write a word, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, I shot everything. And if I ever suggested a line, Ford and Greg would tell me to fuck off. Uh, if they ever wrote in the script, we pan across here, I would do the opposite just to remind them. So, uh, yeah, it was a good working relationship for about 22 years, which is great fun, you know. I'm sure throughout the episode tonight, we'll uh, we'll talk about still game and I'm sure it'll come up in the doubt. I'm sure you won't be surprised to hear, like everyone else in Scotland, we're enormous fans of the show. Um, but also, yeah, it would be great to um, I know I mentioned in the introduction, you, you're currently in post-production on a, a feature film. You mentioned that you're up filming in uh, in Scotland later on this week. Um, lots of other stuff going on at the moment. Yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, I'm kind of always been what I would call a jobbing director in terms of I like working. I love directing. It's a fantastic job to do to be able to storytell. I'm an old-fashioned director, so I don't write. I can write. That would be crazy being illiterate at my age. Uh, and... Um, <laughs> but I like taking other people's work and trying to make it better. So I like to keep working and I've been very lucky uh, across my career that I've managed to keep doing that and do a variety of things. And I think in Scotland, there just isn't the pool of work for you to be a specialist necessarily in one area. Uh, And I was trained in children's telly, so I did multi-camera live shows like Live and Kicking, all that kind of stuff. Uh, Big outside broadcasts, live New Year shows, single camera, multi-camera dramas, adverts, commercials. And And if you're lucky and got trained in that way, you can kind of put your hand to most things, really. You've got to make sure that you really, really push yourself when you're doing your first feature, for instance, or when you're doing stuff and, and kind of give everyone 100%, obviously, um, so you don't become a jack-of-all-trades. 
but in Scotland as a working director, that's kind of the way it works. Did you find that there was a big jump between, well, I don't know whether you did sh like short films and stuff, but was there a big jump between TV and feature films? Man and Witch is my first feature, and it's in America at the moment with the producers doing their cut. And the biggest difference I noticed was when we were doing the recce's, we came to this castle, this fantastic castle, and I casually said on the recce, this would be great if you had a drone come out backwards out of here so it looked like a mid-shot and then just pulled up and away and then it flew over the castle. Didn't think anything more about it. And in TV, they would have gone, yeah, very funny, fuck off. And um, when it came to shoot that day, these two guys turned up and went, hi, we're the drone guys. And I went, what are you doing here? And they said, well, and the first said, you said on the recce you wanted a drone. I was like, oh, right, okay. And I was like, oh, right, okay, that's the difference. And everything takes twice as long for some reason, and I'm not quite sure why. In the, when I started out TV, directors were the kind of main creative authority. And these days in comedy, comedy is extremely different to drama. And that's where the main difference lies. I think less so in film and TV. You look at the quality of streamers uh, produce, and even BBC and ITV stuff now they're pumping out. It's like film in an awful lot of ways. It's cinematic in many devices. Um, ITV less so because I've got adverts coming up and things in Channel 4. But um, when you're doing drama, that's very different to comedy. That's where the real difference lies. Well, we've got you here, Michael, to talk a little bit about Bond and about your Bond fantasies. Um, are you a fan? Are you a fan of James Bond? Yes, I am. Uh, I'm an old man, so I am rooted in a very interesting divide between Connery Mortime and uh, I... Yeah, I am. I am a fan of Bond. And I, I really have a, a fondness for it. I guess, and like, I guess everyone in Britain, very strong opinions of what works and doesn't work as a Bond. That said, I'm not steeped in it like I know every film and all the rest of it. I've got a cheat sheet next to me here with some titles to remind me. I think I've probably seen every Bond film now. I lost my way during the Timothy Dalton era. Who didn't? <laughs> Unless Timothy's listening, in which case he was great. Uh, and, um, and Pierce Brosnan. But my missus adores Dalton and Bronson era, so it's interesting. Uh, yeah, so yeah, I am a fan. I'm not an Uber fan, though. Well, that's it. I mean, it's not that often, to be fair, that we get people on who have seen all the films. Yeah. It's normally like people have seen handfuls here and there, a couple of a couple of Sean Connery ones, maybe a Roger Moore, and most people have seen the Daniel Craig ones, but not, not very often people have seen them all. Yeah, I, I haven't seen Lazenby's on Her Majesty's Secret Service. Uh, I haven't seen that. Uh, everything else I've seen. Yeah, and they all the kind best, of mesh into one, one for a while. So, yeah, <laughs> I mean, you'd say that. I, I've seen clips of it, but no, I haven't. It's a, and it's I a think, thing as well, like, throughout your life, you just, you sort of absorb them, even without sort of realising, you know, you it's just part of, like, your conscience as, as a someone growing up in Britain. Yeah, I'm in my 50s, so at some point it'll have been on ITV4 and I'll have watched it. You know, that's the way it works. It's either that or Jaws, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, that's true, actually. Greg Hempel. He's a massive fan of Jaws. It's his favourite film. And um, I'm pretty meh about Jaws. I think it's a good film. I don't think it's the best thing ever. And I always like teasing him about it. Going, oh, it's a, it's a plastic fish frightening nobody. Come on, son. <laughs> so it's very funny. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm quite brutal about that. Bond films were like a Christmas film. It's something that you all sat down to watch and it was spectacular. Although, actually, when you look at some of them, uh, the sexism and stuff like that, and even of its time, they were pretty outrageous. Uh, early doors uh, and I was thinking now I've got a kid I'm not letting her watch some of those early Bond films but yeah you're right everyone sat, sat around like, like a Christmas film I guess and I, and I heard that about Still Game that it was a, it was kind of a, a thing where families would sit and watch it I, I took great pride in the design of it where people would say oh my, my granny's got a flat like that or my granddad's got that bathroom 
And I remember someone telling us at golf clubs across central Scotland on a Friday night, the bar would stop and they would all turn around and put it on the telly in the golf club and everyone would sit and watch it. And at the time, you don't notice that because you make it maybe six, seven months before it goes out. And the only time I used to shit myself was when it would be on BBC One. It would go, and now on BBC One, still going. And I'd be like, oh, geez, have I done everything? What have I forgotten? And I'd be like, it's too late. So it, it, it was kind of odd. And when we used to do the plays and uh, in the hydro, I remember coming around the corner at the back of the set because obviously there was a stage play, but 10,000 people in that audience, I did a live seven camera cut every night and I'd planned all the shots for it. But you had to have that for that televisual style of performance to work in that arena. I remember when by the time we got the hang of it, leaving the vision mixers, cut it and coming around the corner. And then you saw 10,000 people like that. And it and for those who are listening, it was me, mouth agape, uh, gobsmacked. And that's one of the few times I'd, I'd really done something with Steel Game and saw an instant reaction to it. Because, you know, you would hear people talk about it, uh, but not ever get an instant reaction from it. And then when it came back and Twitter had started and all the 19-year-olds who'd been 11 and loved it, and now they were too cool for school going, that's posh. Uh, that was very funny as well. So, Sorry, what was that that they were saying? That's posh. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> For all your American fans, that's rotten. I <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I did it behind the scenes in 2005, and it was on YouTube, and some Ned had written underneath in comments, I can't even believe the director's English, you bastard. <laughs> <laughs> I've lived here since 83. I've just kept my northern accent, so it's funny I'm probably more Scottish than most of them. Yeah. yeah. It, is, it does feel like such a part of like the Scottish psyche as well, and I think, yeah, like, like you mentioned before, I think that's maybe why it was so endearing for so many people watching it and you, and you obviously the main characters but every other aspect of it what they did where they went you know about in their day and stuff you recognize so many parts of it and I think for a lot of people in Scotland probably to, to have a tv show that was that successful you know on BBC One and everything that was just showing day-to-day life that you knew and that you experienced it was, it was pretty unusual and, and we kept the majority of the dialect and certainly kept the accent we would change some of the words from I'll take a Goldie Bobby to I'll take a dram or I'll take a whiskey when it went networked. But yeah, very few shows had that. Uh, obviously Nesbitt did, but very few shows had that network presence to be in, in proper Glaswegian or, you know, a West Coast kind of stuff as well. You know, the other interesting thing is there was a scene in one of the early episodes, Doctors, where uh, the two guys said, stood there and say, you know, how old are you? And they were 75 or whatever. How old do you feel in your head? And you're like, well, I feel about 38. I don't know how old you, you two are, but you don't feel your age. I'm in my 50s, I feel probably mid early 40s. So, so for everyone watching it, it reminds you of a younger point in your life. And you think that, particularly when you get a little bit older, maybe not for you guys yet. And when you're that, when you're younger, seeing older people being rude and being people instead of just icons as your grandparents, that's funny. That is funny. You know, mm-hmm. there's no getting away from it. And it's finding that reality in people that's always been interesting. I think, I think that's what the cast did so well with it, you know, that they played real people and uh, didn't mock their ages. You know, you never laugh at uh, Naveed. You laugh at Bobby, but that's fair enough. But, um, and I think- Bobby's a wanker. Interesting the way it's played. <laughs> Lovely, yeah. So why don't we get a, get going with building your bond then? Sure. Have you got your, your picks ready? I have got my picks ready, yes. It's a tough gig. Tough gig, actually. Not as really easy as it. it. Mm. No, I didn't know if it would ever be easy, but there's a real temptation to take the piss and have fun with it. And then there's a real temptation not to. And then obviously I've listened to a few of the other ones. So instantly I thought, Jim Campion, what a great director. And then of course your last guest, 
uh, at the end of the thing, Andrea had gone, Jane Campion. I was like, that curses. And, and so you kind of want it as a guest to be different, but real. And then I think, I want to be faithful to Bond. So I've got kind of three choices for everything, and I'll talk through them, and then I guess I'll pick one uh, after we've talked that, if that doesn't get too boring for you guys. No, that sounds cool. That'll be a, a chance to uh, yeah, hear through your creative process a little bit. I think, it's, <laughs> I think it definitely is right that, and um, you know, obviously <laughs> me and Fraser have thought about this a lot for our own episodes, and there is so much to think about. You're like, do I want to make a good Bond film? Do I want to make it like, you know, like, like a funny one? Do I, you know, like what's going to be, do I want to think of something else? I think have a responsibility. Going back to your point, Stuart, about watching it as a family, yeah. in a sense, if you're going to build a Bond film and take part in it, you kind of have a responsibility unless that's too wanky a thing to say. I think you do. And I think you could mock it. But then actually at the end of the day, you'd go, yeah, but that's never going to get made. Whereas I want to put together a film people go oh that would be really interesting to see i think but maybe okay. i'll be wrong we'll see what happens so yours yours is going to be in on the ground of reality here well as as real as bond ever is well yeah <laughs> cool i'm excited that's a nice little teaser um i guess we should get into it well first of all have, here's a cheers yep. cheers guys to your build up on michael cheers wow your picture looks like matt damon you not look like a little <laughs> don't say damon, that though. Don't say that, Michael. I'll never hear the end of it. If you ever see Stuart's little Zoom picture, he looks like a young Matt Damon. It's very funny. Like in his high school yearbook. I've always said that if I, you know, when, not if, when they make my biopic, I would like Matt Damon to do it, although obviously he's quite a bit older than me, so I don't know how you have to do some sort of uh, hologram or something. What were you drinking, though? Yeah, what are you drinking? Oh, I've got a, um, let's see what it is. It's a a beer. It's called Northern Monk Pale Ale. Cheers. To that. Cheers. Cheers. Right, Michael, here we go. Out the starting blocks. Who's James Bond? So I've got three choices, and it's tough, really tough. Because for me, Bond should have an arrogance, a swagger, should have style. He should have to be capable of ultraviolence, a complete Zen Buddhist about it, that it doesn't matter to him. So there's a coldness to him, but still have charm. And that's really tough. So I ruled Jacob Rees Mogg out quite early. <laughs> and uh, I kind of, <laughs> uh, I got down to three. I had Keanu Reeves in there because I'm such a fan of the John Wick's movies. And Keanu would bring a real insouciance to it. And I don't really know what that means, but it kind of characterizes it. But he might be too laid back for it. But then in some of the John Wick's, <laughs> he just kills people without batting an eyelid when he's been wronged. But I don't know whether or not he has the inner drive as an actor, not him himself to act, but the, the character, the, the way he would bring it, that Bond does it without any reason, if you know what I mean, without necessarily being pushed a lot of the time with the people he assassinates and that kind of stuff. But Keanu's in there in the mix. And then the next one I had was Jack Loudon. He's a great Scottish actor, looks cool as. I think he's going to go on to great things. He's a young guy. He's in Slow Horses, which is the Apple TV kind of my sixth thing with um, Gary Oldman at the moment and he's terrific in it um, and I think he'd be great I think he would be really cool in it and then I settled on Colin Salmon and I'm just going to say that name and see if you guys know who he is and where he's Ooh. from too. now Colin is someone who we've been trying to get on this show actually is he right yes yeah of, of course so, has his own history in the Bond franchise exactly he was in the Bronze in his Brosnan films and not Charles Bronson films, entirely <laughs> different thing. Uh, not die another day, die now. Um, and uh, 
but obviously he played Charles Robinson, uh, the kind of uh, MI6 sidekick to Pierce Brothers and Bonds. And I think he looks terrific. And I, and I just think he's a great actor, underused. He's 59, 69, might be a little bit old or not, but I think he'd be dynamite. He has a real stature about him. And so I kind of out of the three of them, it's a top up, toss up between any of the three of them. It's just not really a toss up, is it? It's a three-way split. Um, but I think I would, I would remove Keanu, no disrespect to his acting chops, and go for Jack Loudon or Colin Salmon. And I'm kind of stuck there. And I'd probably go for Colin. Oh, okay. Maybe. But that's where I'm at. Right. Yeah. I mean, two great choices. Uh, two, I think probably two different, like two different choices would be very different bonds. Of course, mm-hmm. with it being build a bond, there, there are no rules. So although you, you mentioned Colin Salmon, maybe a little bit older now, you could just have him when he was younger, you know, and, and just get around it that way. Um, no, or, of course, of course. Or you could, of course, take it in a different direction and have Bond actually being older, you know, so and see what would happen with that. Mm. Um, yeah, tough choice. Jack Loudon, I think, is is excellent. I really enjoyed the film uh, Caliber from from a few years ago. Yeah. It was excellent. Yeah. That. And seventy one, he was terrific. And I yeah. think the thing for me is I wouldn't have Bond as an older guy because then you start to reflect and that just slows you down. And I think the Daniel Craig Bonds started to suffer from that. Pong shot, they did it in Doctor Who for stuff, which was trying to answer all the questions. And uh, it kind of frustrated me sometimes. So I would have Colin, and that sounds like he's not in his prime now, because obviously 59, 60, he could still be in it, but younger, I would have him there. What do you guys think of Keanu? Keanu, for me, is a ridiculous choice. Um... <laughs> <laughs> say, what you, say what you think, Fraser. Don't hold <laughs> no, no, I'm delighted to hear it. I, it's I, not, my it's not that it was ridiculous, and I was arguing it, but I've been wrong not... before. It's not that I'm uh, not on board with him as an actor. I think he's an amazing actor and I love watching him do his thing and a great action actor as well. I just, I, 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 can't, I can't make the connection with him and Bond. Something's, yeah. something's not clicking there. Does he come I think if it wasn't with... for John Wick, he wouldn't. Sorry, Stuart. Yeah. No, I was, I was actually going to make exactly the same point as you, perhaps, that does he come with too much baggage in terms of he's too well-known, he's too associated with other roles, particularly John Wick and, you know, obviously the Matrix and stuff, you know, is, is it, does it become too hard to picture him as, as a new, as a new Bond? Traditionally, yeah, Bond's sometimes always been... he's a bit glakey looking and that would give a real coolness about him. I mean, Point Break, he was great. I mean, yeah. cool, is, cool is definitely the right word. He's a very yeah. cool guy. Also, anyway, he's out I mean, running. He's out there running, but I mean, would they, I mean, if he was him, would he be playing it English? Because I've heard him doing an English accent, and it's in Dracula, and it's awful. <laughs> That's a great film, by the way. Um, I have travelled oceans of time. Um, the thing for me is, you told me this was a fantasy builder bomb. So yeah, as true. far as I'm concerned, he does a great English accent. You can't have it one way and then not the other. You can't have Matt Damon not playing Stuart, and then all of a sudden Keanu's slightly dodgy English accent. You know, fair but, enough. Yeah, fair point. What one thing I'm a bit disappointed in is one actor who's who's often overlooked uh, to, to play Bond uh, would be Ronald Villiers. <laughs> I I think that I think that's very funny. Um, yeah, no, he would be delightful. He cracked me up filming that. Uh, honestly, yeah. it was tremendous. Um, just because I've worked with a lot of background extras who are like that as well. So yeah, he'd be brilliant to it. Um, but yeah, no, not a chance in hell, let's be honest. So yeah, let's go for Colin, because I think Jack actually might end up playing Bond. Yeah, I think you may be right. I think that's that's a really good shout, Jack, to, to literally be the next James Bond. Um, 
but yeah, like loving Colin as well. I think he's a great actor. I think um, presumably it's your fantasy. We're going to forget about the Charles Robinson stuff of the past. Or has he yeah. just been promoted to 007 or something? Well, uh, no spoilers, but it seems to me that there's a vacancy at the moment to change your name. Yeah, that's true. I really like that. Yeah, I think. Yeah, let's go with Colin. Yeah, let's go for that. I think uh, great actor and has had a fantastic career. But he's a massive jazz player. And with that comes um, a real coolness and a confidence as well. And, and I just think that um, there's very little arty about Bond. And it would be great to see him do something that was a little bit more creative in his, in his spare time. I'm not saying crochet, you know, um, <laughs> but uh, a little jazz, jazz number would be hilarious. So we've got Colin Salmon. We're locking him in. Playing, playing James Bond with a jazz connection. <laughs> Name's Jazz Bond. <laughs> Love it. Let's move along then. What's up next, Stuart? We're pretty loose here. We, we don't have to go in any set order. Normally what we do next is, is go on to what would be traditionally known as the Bond girl. Um, but mm-hmm. as you know, it's just build a Bond. We don't have any, it doesn't have to be a, a kind of Bond girl love interest type character. You can kind of do what you want with it. More broadly, we would say it's like the co-star. Who do you want to play your, your, your co-star for the role? So I've come down to two for this. Mm-hmm. Uh, one's been in a Bond before, and she was mm-hmm. going to be a villain, and then I thought someone better. So I've got Monica Bellucci in her prime. Nice. That's a terrible thing to say, prime. She's fabulous. <laughs> Always has been. And I know she was in, uh, what was the one? It was it Spectre she was in? Mm, no. Uh, that's right. Is yeah. It yeah, Spectre. Yes. And Mila uh, Jovovich, I think, would be a great Bond girl. A real, real cool action, fabulous-looking Bond girl. And it depends what we do either way with them. Because originally I had Monica down as a villain and she was going to be married to Donald Sutherland as a pair. But I decided that actually, I just think she's one of the most beautiful women in the world. It's such a terrific actress. She would be dynamite as a traditional Bond girl. And Mia would be dynamite as a more action Bond girl that they kind of brought in later on. Uh, after the Terry Hatcher time, I can't remember the other Bond girls, that they became more action-based in an effort to sort of lessen just the the eye candy nature of them, unfortunately. So uh, I'm stuck between the two of them. I guess probably I would go for Miller. That's where I'm at at the moment. I'm interested to hear your opinions, see if they inform my final decision. Well, my opinion on the matter is that you can have both because, like you say, there was the, there was the Terry Hatcher thing. Terry Hatcher was the born girl and then, yeah. spoiler, she died. And then um, Michelle Yeoh came in to, to sort of yeah. fill that role for the rest of the film. Um, so, yeah, there's no reason... Out. Keanu in drag. Is that working for you? <laughs> well, funnily <laughs> enough, Mar- Monica obviously was a, a small but key role in the Matrix trilogy. Mm-hmm. Underused in that. Very much so, yeah. The cash. Uh, but yeah, yeah, okay, well, let's have two then. Let's go for uh, Monica and Miller. And I, and I think both would be uh, dynamite in their own way. And I would like Monica Bellucci to be a really, really fucking cool ninja. I would like her to use like a blow dart or a death star or poison tip, something really subtle, femme fatale, uh, cool as. Because I just think there's such a femininity about how she looks. That little cold edge of danger would be absolutely brilliant. Whereas uh, Mila has a completely different way of approaching it. And she would be more traditional in her martial arts and all fighting and all that kind of stuff. But would look, both would look dynamite. So, yeah, let's have both of them. That would be great. Perfect. Stuart, was that, was that okay with you? Yeah, I think, yeah, obviously you got you only got one bond and you got to have one bond, but as exactly as you said, the co-star can be a bit more flexible. Some of them, one of them's got to die at some point, of course, so that, that kind of opens up uh, different options. And yeah, like you say, they are quite different. I always think of, well, Monica Bellucci 
more in that role that she did inspector the kind of you know beautiful maybe like femme fatale kind of look and feel again underused inspector very much underused yeah yeah Yeah. very true but yeah i mean genuinely i'm not citing steel game as a method for going forward with bond remember when tan kind of faked his own death uh, and then reappeared and we were we wanted we argued for ages about having like a an eight frame glimpse of him in the cinema crowd the first time we spot him and um I think Monica Bellucci should. You think she's died, and at the end, you catch her in the back of a cafe or something, okay. uh, looking at a menu or something like that, and she hasn't. And I think that would be cool. Uh, yeah. But Mila gets promoted to being one of the double O's. You know, when you're like growing up and you're, and you're watching films and stuff like that, and you have certain films that are, are like quite defining moments where you see a film that you're like, this is like something that I've never really seen before, and it kind of has changed my you're perception. You're going to go on about the fifth element here. I'm exactly going to go on about the fifth yeah. element. When I saw that, I was just like, this is like nothing I've ever seen before. This is like completely different to my experience of films. Lee fucking Evans in it. I mean, man, <laughs> honestly. And, and the costume and everything. Oh, it was great. It was it was a bonkers film, but it looked absolutely fabulous. And it was a bit like Blade Runner, because I'm a massive sci-fi fan. And it looked a bit like Blade Runner in terms of, it didn't look like it, but in terms of invented a new kind of visual narrative yeah uh, that's what i remember uh, most like i couldn't tell you the plot line or, or, or the, the dialogue or anything. i just remember how it looked and, and the costumes and what they were all wearing and everything just thinking this is mental i actually just watched the fifth element the other day with my girlfriend who had never seen it before and wow. I, I, I absolutely love it i think it's so good chris tucker is one of my favorite characters in that <laughs> ever. and what did she make of it she was fairly tight-lipped about it um she and she said it was pretty good but i think she's going to need some time to she maybe maybe should have watched it when she was younger to have that connection. But Mia yeah, Jovovich obviously is such a great action hero in it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you don't expect her to do the things she does. So mm-hmm. either way, I think she would be a fantastic Bond girl. Uh, but then Monica Bellucci would just be dynamite as well. And I can't really separate them. But yeah, and not Keanu in drag. No. Not Keanu in drag. <laughs> I mean, did I, I don't know how, what the tradition is with the. Uh, like the premiers and stuff, does does the Bond actor always go with the main Bond girl? Or would they set like girl boy, girl boy? <laughs> I imagine Barbara Broccoli sits next to uh, Bond. Yeah. Um, so we've got salmon and broccoli now. We're kind of building a really nice <laughs> <laughs> A lovely dish. <laughs> let's, let, let's go next on to one of my favourite roles to cast. And I wonder, it'd be interesting to know from your perspective as a director... You know, we're talking about the villain and who you're going to cast as a Bond villain. But from a from your from a director's point of view, do you have a lot of fun directing a, a kind of villainous character? Because it always seems to me like they're the sort of actors who have most fun on screen. You're absolutely right; they have most fun on screen. I think when you're auditioning villains, that's the most crucial thing. And quite often, you'll read a script in your head, and you'll particularly these days with COVID, it's self tapes or Zoom auditions, and you'll you'll kind of be looking for something in your head. But occasionally an actor will do something that you didn't expect, but it still strikes a chord at the back of your head. It hits the nail, a different nail, but it just sounds right or so dynamitely different that you think, oh man, that's fucking perfect. And I think a good villain does that. They have real screen presence, but they're unlike anyone else on screen. So Daniel Craig has screen presence as a leading man, uh, but it was really interesting because I thought Christopher Waltz, does have screen presence, even though he's a bit like a cross between Ronnie Corbett and uh, Rob Brydon. And I and I kind of think that he's still got screen presence and he's a fantastic villain. They're kind of free to do what they want because they don't follow society's rules. That's why they're a lawbreaker, because they've broken the law. And so villains are kind of freer to be what they want. 
the danger comes when you start to play that too mannered because most evil is most frightening when it comes out of normality, I think. But there's got to be a quirkiness in it. So it's a really interesting thing. It's a really great question about casting villains and bad people. They've got to have screen presence and they've got to have something about them that's slightly different. Am I right in saying that you've been working with uh, Michael Emerson? Yeah. So I had a day directing him. Sadly, so he's in Man and Witch and he plays an evil character. And um, I had a day directing him on Zoom five hours behind from my back room because I couldn't go to New York because of fucking COVID. Uh, And he was tremendous to work with. And he's, he's great. And he has... You know, his look, he could be a bank clerk and, and he would be a great bank clerk and he would have screen presence. But as a villain or someone slightly evil or skewed or that kind of way out, he, he, there's a creepiness about him that's fantastic. Yeah, that's when you mentioned, yeah, um, like Christoph Waltz, a villain, because sometimes, and, and Bond is definitely guilty of this, like with villains making them like huge scars on their face, weird like things going on. But actually the yeah. villains like... You know, uh, the character he plays in Lost, for example, where they do look, yeah, like you say, like a bank clerk or, or yeah, in normal society, you would just think of them as normal, but it's it's the way they play it and, and the and the presence they have that, that makes them so kind of unnerving. I I remember, I can't remember the guy's name now, the actor who played the baddie in Quantum of Solace. Um, what was his Math- name? You know? Matthew Almaric. Yes, him. So I remember him saying that he didn't want to have any fantastic talent. It was just that he was pretty bad and evil mm. and all the rest of it. But actually, he was a good villain. He was actually a, a, an underrated villain, in my opinion, as was the film. It was like a more traditional Bond with a ridiculous title. And um, But he was a great villain in some respects. Whereas Rami, a, a villain, kind of felt a bit too forced, but also it was all about backstory. And I, I don't need that all the time again. And, and that goes back to my point about the later Craig films is that the, there was a lot of backstory and kind of filling in things and explaining things rather than just getting on with it. So I, I kind of agree with you. Uh, when it's mostly it's insidious, it comes out, you know, they all say that the, the devil wears a normal suit. Well, they don't say that. Whatever it is they say about the devil, I can't remember what it is. The devil wears Prada? a purple hat. Yeah. <laughs> and so from my point of view, if you're going to have a, a proper evil baddie and you need someone to be proper, proper jeopardy, a Bond film needs real genuine jeopardy. Otherwise, why have we got James Bond on the case? Why haven't we got me, you and, and Fraser on the case, you know, or Matt Damon and looking like you in your yearbook. And, and I think if you don't have proper jeopardy, uh, there's no point to it. Good to get an idea of the sort of villains that you like. Very intrigued now to find out who you've picked for your villain. So this is a great story. One of my favourite actors in the world is Donald Sutherland. And I saw him once at Copenhagen Airport. And I said to my girlfriend at the time, he's my favourite actor. I work in the industry. I'm going to be cool about this. I'm going to go up to him and say, I'm really sorry to bother you, Mr. Sutherland. I just really admire your work. And I walked over to him. I got to him. And I literally just said, Donald Sutherland. And walked away, feeling like complete time. Honestly, it was hysterical. It was just so embarrassing. Guy's a genius. So originally... I had uh, in one world uh, Monica Bellucci and Donald Sutherland as a real evil married couple. But then I came up with a better one. So my final choice as villains is Tilda Swinton and Malcolm McDowell as a married couple of villains. And those two would be dynamite on screen and so evil and so scary. And also to be something really interesting about a married couple who are evil. And I don't know what their relationship would be. I think that would be really funny. That would appeal to me. Obviously, I've got a very broad sense of humour. But Tilda Swinton's amazing. 
And she has that, not quirkiness, that's a little bit uh, unfair. She's real strong screen presence, but she's also different from the majority of actors. And Malcolm McDowell brings a dangerous energy to anything he ever does. And the pair of them, I think, would be fantastic villains. That's my answer. Malcolm McDowell, man. I haven't seen him in a while in things. Obviously, you're going back in time. Even, you know, you think about Clockwork Orange. Or if, mm. Even in it, if or whatever, you know, the stuff he did, it was just like, wow. He fizzes on screen. He really does. And uh, until they really bring something different to every single role, but there's a reserved, clearly demonstrated depths going on behind the eyes. Two of them, it would be, and it would be quite funny in yeah. some respects. I don't know if it would work as a marriage, but in other respects, I think, well, why not? And I, I think it would be great. I, in my head, like, I, I like both those individually, and I, I like that, that, that married couple ideal idea. I picture it like a bickering couple, you know, they're, they're not yeah. perfect. They're not like totally in agreement on everything. They're kind of at each other a wee bit as well. You see, the thing is, Gene Hackman in Superman as Lex Luthor nailed it for Superman. It was kind of funny. He was still evil, but he nailed it with that kind of slightly bickering thing. I don't know if that's right for Bond or not, because you've got to believe in him. So I don't know if they would be bickering, but they have to be, because. but then they're also uh, together in their evilness. So I, I, but I think it, I couldn't separate and choose one over the other. Hmm. Uh, both would be fantastic. But anyway, that's who I've gone for. Mr. and Mrs. whatever. It's like their they're bickering will eventually be their downfall, like... There'll be one little one little thing that forces them apart, and then that's how you get in and bring them down. How, um... Maybe they invite Keanu around for tea, and that divides the partnership. And he's like, "I'm not even in this movie. What am I doing here?" You know, <laughs> you're obsessed with Keanu Reeves, aren't you? I'm not. I'm trying to get him in somewhere now because he dissed so much. I think there has to be ridiculous suggestion. <laughs> there has to be yeah, Keanu. Don Sutherland. Shame to have to dump him because yeah, brilliant actor. But I'm no, sure he's not in it, but. Malcolm and Tilda, I think, would be brilliant villains. And either one of them on their own would be brilliant villains. Yeah, Tilda Swinton's one we've had a few times, actually, come up for villain. Um, uh-huh. Great shout. I, don't think it, I think it is fair enough to call her quirky and, and maybe even eccentric um, in her roles anyway. I think oh, that... No, because if you say we need to talk about Kevin, I wouldn't say there's an eccentric performance. I kind of agree with you, but I don't think all of our performances are like that necessarily. Just in the different, you know. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking of things like um, uh, Snowpiercer. Snowpiercer. Yeah, uh-huh. things like that, and uh, Hail Caesar. But that's and... that's got to be for the money. That come on, I mean, you know, Which no one so thought Snowpiercer was Chekhov, did they? You know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's 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 up there. It was up there at the time with Airbender and Snowpiercer and all those suddenly <laughs> elemental magicians that fell out of a cheap Harry Potter. What was it Percy Thrower? Fuck's sake. Anyway, don't get me started. On we go. I would separate Snowpiercer from those films. I know exactly the genre you're talking about. I think well, we don't have to get into it, but I would say Snowpiercer it does stand up against those kind of films. And it, oh, fair it, point. It was pretty but good. any film with Tilda Swinton is going to stand up because she's dynamite, I guess. No, that's very true. You know, yeah. imagine, imagine a real great 70s place with a lowered living room and it ends up in there, all orange and brown, and she's cutting about in a great um, big wide trousered number offering snacks, but you don't know if they're poisoned. It's complete serpent's lair. I can see it in my head. Very cool. That's, I mean, that's a really nice pick. And actually, Ooh, Fraser, correct me. Is that the first time we've had Malcolm McDowell? First time we've had Malcolm McDowell, yeah. Um, Beautiful. Have you had yeah. all my other picks before? Have you had Colin Salmon before? 
We've had Colin Salmon, but not as Bond. Yeah. Right. Uh, we've had Monica Bellucci as a Bond girl again. Uh, never had Mia, Mia Jovovich. Okay. And I'm surprised at that because she is a proper action hero. Yeah. You know. The next pick for you is the one I'm very excited to hear. And it's who you're going to have as your director. Well, obviously me. I'm kidding. I could never do a Bond film. Honestly, it would. I think it would drive me mad. Um, when you do stunts in comedy, you don't cut. You kind of don't want to trick the audience into thinking, because audiences are so sophisticated. You think if you did a cut here, they'll know something's coming. So I don't know if you saw the still game where the fridge dropped into the car that had literally just been owned by Tam. And I'd always said to the boys, when the keys drop in, I want it to happen in the same shot that the fridge drops through mm. the car. So you see the falling of the key. You don't cut, because as soon as you cut, the audience will go, there's something going on. But when you do stunts in drama, I did a massive stunt where a car, someone stole a car and drove it into a wall and caused a big gas explosion. So you see the guy's face, you see the tyre, you see the car, you see the wall. And you repeat that faster and faster and, and closer and closer, building up jeopardy so the audience know what's about to happen. And everyone's taken to that point at the same time. And we're all terrified of that moment of happening. We don't want it to happen. Whereas with comedy, you want to catch them out. And Bond is full of those action sequences uh, that I kind of think Paul Greengrass did so well in, in, in Bourne and, and um, when he was second unit action director, stuff like that, just have a real penchant for it. And I just don't have the, the patience for it. I, I think I'm not that creatively wired. So I think Bond would be fantastic fun to do, but it's such a formula, great formula, but such a formula. Uh, I, I'm, I wasn't remotely surprised that Boyle left it. Actually more surprised that they ever thought that would be a good partnership. You know, I, I watched him do the Sex Pistols thing and you could tell instantly that was him. Uh, and uh, so okay, it would never be me, obviously. So uh, that said, I've gone for two and you've probably had them before. Uh, but being, I used to do martial arts for 20 odd years and loved them. So I've gone for John Woo or Kurosawa. And I've kind of settled on Kurosawa as my director for it. John Woo's brilliant at it, doesn't quite have the ability to tell the human quality that you still need in Bond occasionally. Not as much as we've seen, but certainly occasionally those moments. And to be able to tell a human story with switching to complete ultra-violence in a moment, Kurosawa mm. does absolutely brilliant. And really, I was racking my brains for ages about this. And this is where I took it really seriously, because I did think Jane Campion would have been a great show, and then I heard someone else take it, and I thought, it is a bit weird. But then why am I choosing someone like that? And I'm choosing them because I want to see what they would do with it because they're a great director. Also, genuinely, without being silly, being half Swedish, I'm an enormous fan of Northern Europe and I'm an enormous Cold War spy fan. So all the stuff that Bond did in, in um, Germany, Vienna, all that kind of Northern cities and things like that, I loved it all. thought it was terrific. And Bond needed to get back to there because now Bond looked a bit like a cartoon character. It was like Buzz Lightyear in Star Wars. Uh, it's that kind of vibe and so I was really pleased when Daniel Craig came back at that and took it back and I was really cross at him when the guy said do you want your martini shake of the stern and he said do you look like a give a damn <laughs> because Bond should give a damn he should know about that he's, he's not he's not a character being formed he is formed he doesn't have any questions of his opinions at that stage and what they tried to do in Craig Bond I think was give it a lot of humanity and it was kind of nice to see to a degree but by the end of it, it was too much. And actually, he's a cold-hearted killer, for me anyway. 
And when I heard uh, Andrew go for it, I thought, yeah, you're right. This isn't what it's about. It's not trying to make a mark of saying, oh, I wonder what they would do with it. You actually need someone who would take it and go, there's a fucking great film done properly. And Kurosawa would nail that absolutely. And John Woo would do it really well. He would do it more than adequate. He would do it really, really well. Uh, and being a big martial art fan, um, I think Kurosawa is the one. I'm guessing you've had him before. We've not. We've not had either of those before, actually. No way. I, I cannot believe that. I would be amazed at that. Um, and, and all his stuff, Ujimbo, Red Bull, oh, it's just great stuff. You know, it's great stuff. It's human quality with ultraviolence in that moment. And yeah. that's an awful lot of what the samurai films I love were about. And Zaitochi is a great film. Things like that. And so um, I think Kurosawa is my nailed-on guy to do it. I think John Woo, maybe for the younger team, might get it more. But that's where I'm at. I'm going to um, put my cards on the table at this point and say, as, as someone who's not a huge fan, I've never really got into that style of film. I'm actually not really familiar with either of those two directors. Um, so I'm glad you gave us a little rundown in, into your thought process and how you arrived at, at that kind of, um, at those decisions. Because really for me, if you'd just named those two, I would have been sort of staring blankly and, and not really- Have you not seen them. Face Off with Travolta or uh, Broken Arrow? Have you seen those films? No, I haven't done face no. off. I don't think I've seen yeah. face off, no. Or even one of the... He did Mission Impossible 2 with uh, mm. Douglas Cotton. Uh, okay, that's more familiar. So he's character. at that level of being able to do it. But yeah. my, my favourite film for him is Hard Boiled. I mean, it's brutal. It's, it's uh, a great film. But he's, always got, um, he's always got white, white doves in his film, doesn't he? <laughs> Does he? I've not really noticed. Yeah. Maybe, Maybe, maybe it was, his original name was John Doom. He's uh, a <laughs> terrible gag. I'm apologising. <laughs> uh, John Koo. Let's bring the doves in. I said, John Woo. Right, well, we've got these birds here anyway. Right, let him go. Action. Right, oh, let's, I'm keeping them for my next film. That's how that happened. Uh, but yeah. I have to be honest as well, to my great shame, I don't know that I've seen any Akira Kurosawa films. They're think, not easy uh, to get hold of, to be fair. No. But I would go for Throne of Blood, which is Macbeth, Rashomon, or The Seven Samurai. Oh, Yijimbo's great as well. Yijimbo's yeah. Last Man Standing with Bruce Willis. It's the same film. Right. Well, I've seen, I think I've seen the I've seen the Seven Samurai remakes, yeah. Magnificent Seven and stuff, but I've not seen Seven Samurai. Brilliant. Uh, lovely. Beautifully articulated. Um, now we're going to move, I suppose... Uh, a little bit off your familiar territory, I know. Although I know you do do a little bit of music yourself, and we're going to talk yeah. about uh, Bond theme songs. First oh, of all, great. yeah, are you a fan of of the Bond theme songs? I love them. My favourite one's Carly Simon's "No One Does It Better." Straight yes. out there, it's <laughs> such a great one. It's such a great song, um, and I was delighted that David Arnold got into it. One of my favourite pieces of music is there's an instrumental track in Ocean's Eleven that Arnold did. And uh, it's great. He's fantastic. And I thought he was absolutely brilliant choice to do that kind of stuff. But for, for all of them, the majority of them, you know, uh, Shirley Bassey, obviously doing Diamonds Are Forever and, and that kind of stuff. It's like big. It's got to be big. You mm. know? So I'm gone for Mark Ronson with Brian Ferry. <laughs> <laughs> or... Okay. Do you know Bastille? You know the, the band Bastille? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Dan Smith's voice is just brilliant. And I think, so what, here's where I'm at. Three, another three for you. Okay. I've got Mark Ronson producing Brian Ferry. I've got Janice Ian, who's kind of like a female Jarvis <laughs> Cocker, Joe Cocker. 
in, in not Jarvis, um, Janice Ian, if we need a woman to do it, because most of them are, although Aha was in between. Um, and then we've got Bastille. Bastille's that Pompeii song, for instance, it's just beautiful. And I love music, full stop. And I kind of dabble in it writing occasionally for, for uh, film and telly whenever I can. But um, I love the melancholy mood. And, and there's always a kind of a, a melancholy in that. So I think Bastille, Dan Smith, probably rule them out because they're not a Mark Ronson's level. Janicean doing wrong would be really rock and roll. My favourite Bond, Cards on the Table, is Live and Let Die. Okay? Um, because film. I saw it at the right time in my life. Favourite Bond so, film? Yeah, right. I was the right age to watch it. I could watch that movie over and over again. And the theme tune is banging. Mm. The theme tune is one of the best ever. Uh, and I would say that's up there with Carly. I think Carly's ahead of it slightly. But for me, I was, I don't know how old I was. When was it? Uh, yeah, I was under 10. Um, and when I watched it, it was just, it was exotic. It was different. When I watch it now, it's complete hokum. But at the time, it was brilliant. It was absolutely brilliant. Moonraker's hugely entertaining. Anyway, we're getting off the track. But Live and Let Die is a great song. It's a great song. And it does really well as a Bond song, but it's a great song full stop. It's not necessarily a Bond theme as much as it's a great song. And it is inextricably with the movie. Um, where Skyfall was written for Skyfall. There's no other reason to have Skyfall, you know. Yeah. I'm not saying McCartney had Live and Let Die in his cupboard and went, hey, hang on a minute, I'll see what I've got up here. And then gave him something. But, uh, but I think Mark Ronson is cool as fuck. And he's, he's always on the money. And he's quite funky. And he knows his music. And Brian Ferry is such a loose, kind of languid, kind of singer. It, it's all smoky and club and, and that kind of vibe. I think it would be great. But and I think for Colin Salmon as a jazz player, I think Brian Ferry do that or Janice and do that. That's where I'm at. So I'm down to Janice and on her own or with whoever writing or Mark Ronson with Brian Ferry. And Bastille. So. And Bastille. Yeah, Bastille, yeah, Bastille, but I've kind of ruled them out now. But I love okay. Dan's voice. I was a bit upset, actually, that you ruled out Bastille. Bastille's a bit of a guilty pleasure of mine, actually. Well, they shouldn't be guilty. They're great. They are I mean, good, you can still yeah. leave them in. But the thing for me is, I want to shout for the old-timers, because Bastille might have a chance when Jack Loudon's doing Bond. They might have a chance to shout of doing it. You know, I'm surprised churches haven't done a Bond movie thing. But anyway, Bastille are great, and Dan Smith's voice is fantastic. It's perhaps not as iconic in my head of the atmosphere it needs to create when you think of Brian Ferry or Mark Ronson. You know, if Amy Winehouse is around, she'd have done one by now. Yeah, yeah. And with Robson, probably. So Janice Ian's voice is astonishing and wonderful and would be great. And it depends on the story of the movie. And if it was funky and American set, then Janice might be up for it. If it was more cool and Russian or Eastern European, then Ferry and Ronson. So it depends. And I haven't got a writer and I haven't got a script. So I probably, I don't know which way to go. Well, maybe Janice Ian would do it um, if Keanu was Bond. He could play the drums. <laughs> he could. He could. <laughs> Hilda could be like that. What's that noise in the back room? <laughs> well, like, I don't know. I don't know. I haven't ever looked around this house. So when he come in here, and she'd be like that. Someone's in the back room playing drums, and it's Keanu doing a session set for for Janice. But yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know which way to go. I'm, I'm, I'll let you two decide for me. Mark Ronson. You feel at this stage he could turn his hand to anything almost like mm. you, you obviously the stuff did with Amy, Amy Winehouse and that was a few years ago now more recently. But Bruno Mars, if you think of Uptown, fuck yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I like the idea. I like the idea of having Mark Ronson in there to, to to 
you know, to be, you take the sort of producer role and you build the sound and, 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 and I think he would be very good at looking at your film, watching it, going, okay, this is a sound that, that needs to fit into that. Um, yeah. Well, here's a question for you. What was the theme song to Goldeneye? Tina Turner. Was it? Right. Mm-hmm. I can't remember that at all. Golden yeah. eye, I yeah. found his weakness. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The only one I always forget is what was the theme song for Die Another Day? I never remember. Uh, that oh, I don't know. Anyway, I don't know actually. Um, I'm going to look it up. I'm going to look it up right now. <laughs> the soundtrack was composed by David Arnold. The title song for Die Another Day was performed by Madonna. Wow. That's why you've forgotten it. <laughs> Excellent. So, so who are we? Who are we settling on here? Are we? Are yeah. we Mark Ronson and and Brian Ferry. I used to think Brian Ferry was a place just outside Dundee. Very good. Very good. <laughs> Enjoying that uh, with his sister Brody. Let me think for a second, and I'll choose it. When... Janice Ian. Going with Janice. You think about it, right? Colin. Colin has just um, done something. I don't know what. Landed. It fades to black. Out comes the beginning of the smokiness of the titles. And then that broken voice of hers, you know, like when the party's over, it just grabs it, such soul in it. She's the one. Janice Ian, there we go. We've spoken about Brian for long enough. Brilliant. He doesn't need the money. Janice. I guess that's our big five. That's our, our Bond film at its core. We also have the next section, which is the AOBs, the any other Bonds. Anything yep. else that you want to stick in there? Anything else you want to put in your Bond? Yeah. Location so, characters. Is there any red Indians <laughs> on it? I, I try to come up. I try to come up with a really good uh, title mm-hmm. um, for you. And I was looking over your past ones as well, and thinking uh, Jordan Young's uh, the one with the Beta. I thought that was unbelievable. So I had never say Trevor again uh, because Bond will never ever be performed by anyone called Trevor. And apart from Trevor, it was Eves. I can't remember his surname. Who, who was a great actor? Um, I don't know that many Trevors. So never t- say Trevor again was good. But actually, what you really want is a cool Bond title that implies, I think, back to, is a reboot again, almost. I think what's happened with uh, the last one, uh, Die, was it? No Time to Die. Is that what it's called, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I was trying to look through them all and see what word had been in them the most. And Die and Killer kind of in most of them, I think. Yeah. Um, but um, I think after No Time to Die, and I'm guessing people watching this, uh, listening to this, are uh, uh, will know the films anyway. I think we need to start again a little bit. And so I had a, uh, I had a proper title was Re- Return to Grace. And one of the things I've loved about the Bond films is their titles. They're really unusual, and they're all almost always something to do with the film. Even Live and Let Die about zombies and all that kind of stuff. Uh, they're always something to do with it. And I know I know that sounds daft, but an awful lot of films don't have a title that isn't necessarily something to do with that. And No Time to Die was about the first one that didn't really have, have anything to do with it, with what happened, I don't think, in my mind. But it was, all I the rest it, did. It was kind of shoehorned in. I think Lashana Lynch's character sort of stuck it in at one point and yeah, said, oh, there's no time to die or something. Yeah, but you know what happened on the day. I mean, they were out filming and she probably said, hurry up. And uh, <laughs> they went, wait a minute. I know what we need to do. Barbara popped out. Mrs. Double B, Broccoli Love, came out and said, have you had the title in yet, loves? Yeah, I know we've got the phone. <laughs> Texted me saying, what's the film called? And um, they've gone, All right, instead of hurry up, what I could say is, oh, come on now, it's no time to die. 
and then get it in there. I think that's what's happened. So mm. for me, I was going return from grace sounds cool in my mind, and and it it, it implies coming back to the start of something, and it's exciting for a new beginning. So I would, I would call it return from grace. Or, or never say Trevor again. Um, and then uh, the other one was M for Miriam Margoyles. I would love M to be oh, played yes. by Miriam. And I, and, I, and I that's a big thing for me. And now the stupid thing is I got this the wrong way around because I went M for Miriam. That's really cool. But actually, I wanted her to play Q. That didn't work. <laughs> so I decided to just jam it in and stick with it. And directors, you often do that. What, she, um, she could but job share. I, I, she could job. She could do either, you know. Uh, Keanu can't play Q. But uh, I think um, uh, Miriam needs to be in there. And I kind of think she would be great as Q, but I also think she would be dynamite as M when Voldemort's given up his, his uh, dodgy arm. Yeah, the trouble for me with your title is that we normally go for something quite funny. No, Return to Grace is a great proper Bond title because I've taken it seriously. But if you want, you can have Never Say Trevor Again. That's the best of both Or, or if you prefer... Trevor say never again. <laughs> <laughs> did, did you have any? Prefer that. Did you have any preferred titles, Fraser? Is that what you're getting at? Yeah. So norm- normally we do this at the, at the very end of the of the show. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I've got a couple of ideas. Um, cool. First one is a, is a still game reference, and uh, and you said you liked the Jordan Young one. So this one is for your eyes only. Nice. I'm enjoying that. Yeah. I am enjoying that, yeah. And then the second one, I mean, you've got to get Keanu in there somewhere, so it was Dr. New Keanu. That's wrong. <laughs> if you're telling me that Keanu's a ridiculous suggestion, that's honestly grade A pish, and I would go with... Um, yeah, Return to Grace is sounding a whole lot better right now. <laughs> yeah, all of a sudden. You see, if you told me you wanted something to do with me rather than actually coming up with a cool Bond name, then I would have gone back to Daniel Craig Lang. <laughs> I would have come up with something different like that. So I think, yeah, uh, I mean, songs. even Osprey Heights, the Heights of Osprey, is, <laughs> is a great uh, title. You know, Clansman of Clansman of Solace, Clansman of Solace. Yeah, maybe not bad, not bad. I think I'm just going to have a quick. Yeah. I'm going to have a quick look through them very, very quickly. <laughs> I you see, you've got from yeah. Russia with love, so you can put from Craig Lang with love. That's an easy mm, one. Yeah, that's an easy sell. You know. Uh, bin Raker Bin Raker I've, I've been trying to fit it in but nobody's ever brought up like a, the right time well, it's interesting enough because because Jake Darcy who played Pete the Jake he was the Bin Raker yeah. and he was raking in the bins but also there was that episode where they thought he was a spy yeah so actually why don't we do Bin Raker as a homage to Pete who was a wonderful uh, to Jake who was a wonderful actor uh, we went to his funeral uh, a few years ago, and he was a wonderful, wonderful actor, a lovely guy, and um, a pleasure to work with. So, why do we say Bin Raker in homage to him? That's there's your title. Lovely. Oh, so Very we're giving nice. Bin Raker amazing. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Anyone listening at home, you know, or to tweet us, Instagram, build up on 007. I know listeners are going to have lots of nice, still good I hope so. That'd be great. Pines. I'd be delighted to see them. So, tweet them at us, tweet them at Michael Hines as well, and we'll look forward to seeing yeah. them. Goldie finger, you've got me started now. Uh, yeah, so good, Michael. It's been such a pleasure to chat Bond with you, chat all sorts of different film stuff with you, and of course all your own work as well. Best of luck for, with, with the new film as well. We can't wait Thank to you. see it. Yeah, when can we yeah, expect to, to come out? 
I don't know. It's up to them. We've still got all the effects and grade and post-production. And there are animals in it as well. And we got Jim Henson to make some puppets for us. Astonishingly beautiful puppets. And they all need to be voiced. And we've got Bill Bailey, Sean Astin, um, Eddie Izzard, and uh, Jennifer Saunders going to play the animals, I think. Uh, and so you've got all that to record and all that fun to have. So uh, we'll see. It'll take a while, but I'm excited to see it come out whenever it does. But this has been a blast. It's been, been loads of fun because it's really rekindled my love for a good Bond movie. Frankly, I think I've come up with some dynamite suggestions and whether I have or not, I don't care because I've had a ball. So thank you, gentlemen. I will leave you to it then in that case, if we're yeah. all done. As you've said, it's been such a great laugh to chat to you. And it's always uh, always nervous having a guest on who's worked on stuff that you know we really love. So mm. it's been so good. You know, that. oh, and that's, a, that's a real pleasure for me to hear. So thank yeah. you very much. Have a yeah. good night, gentlemen. Good luck with yeah. Matt playing you. Well, here we go. No, where do you think he ranks on, our, on his scale of shite or good or what? <laughs> <laughs> good to shite. Um, as a guest, good. Uh, so so much fun to good. chat it. <laughs> good. Okay. Good. Yeah, so much fun Just to chat Just hold back the enthusiasm, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, okay. As a guest, brilliant. So much fun. Like, And to hear from someone like him who is, is so experienced and like obviously goes through this process quite a lot, you know, thinking about making films, making TV shows, what what is required, what needs to go into it, what works, what doesn't work. Um, it's just brilliant. And seeing all this, also you get little clues as to what's inspired him, what's kind of um, been a part of his work and stuff. Um, in terms of the film he's built and picked, ah, take it or leave it. Yeah, I'm a bit the same. I'm a bit slightly underwhelmed with some of his picks. I like... I think I need to watch some Kurosawa films mm. and then yeah, judge yeah. it. That, that's on us, really, that, that he's picked um, some, you know, some really iconic picks, like to Brian Ferry as well, that, that um, you know, obviously we don't know enough about to be able to, to judge properly. So that's on us more than on him. Um, but what a great guest. Mm. So much fun and great to hear all the stories of uh, from his career, especially from Still Game and stuff. Oh, yeah. That, that, it's, it feels like an honour to get Mm. inside scoop on some of that stuff um how did you get on speaking of still game how did you get on with your your quotes and references you know i again this always happens i got caught up in the in the in the conversation i totally forgot about it until at one point you said sitting boy girl boy girl <laughs> and i immediately thought <laughs> i know what he's doing here and fair play, I, I did hear another one, another couple that you squeezed in. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Michael was none the wiser. I think he was too. And he, he, put, he put a couple in himself as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I racked up four. Four. So, like you say, boy, girl, boy, girl. Yeah. Uh, Bobby's a wanker. Well, yeah, but then that was, that was also. And uh, is there Red Indians in it? That was yeah, a game quote that as well. was good. Yeah, very good. Um, I, I don't think I got any then, to be honest. None. Um, I thought none I heard one at least. What was that? I can't remember now. I wasn't taking note of yours, but I, I did reference. I referenced beefy bakes at one point. Yes. Yeah, that was good. There was something else that you referenced that was that that definitely counted. I think you you won that one. Basically, we'll see. I win. Okay, good. Yeah. You sneaky tried to get tried to coerce him to snake, say Madonna. <laughs> That's I know, why it didn't I, ding. I was waiting for the bell to ding. Um, I did try to squeeze it in, but then it, 
yeah, it fell a bit flat, unfortunately. And yeah, so that that leaves us for another another episode. It's been great. Thank mm-hmm. you for your company, Stuart. I've enjoyed this. Brightened up my uh, Friday evening. Yes. Yeah. Friday evening in Glasgow. And I'll see you next time. Yes, we'll see. I'll see you next time, Fraser and listeners. We look forward to welcoming you again in a week's time. Two pints, you prick. Bye.